Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legend Series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. Coaches, they are a little different. The position and the pressures can change a man's character. Not this one, though. Living by the same principles and values, unaffected by the game that affects most. He's one of the game's true gentlemen. But who is Neil Henry? Uh, good question. I'm born on Hobart. Um, Dad's uh, an Englishman. He came out as a 10-pound pom when he was 15 when his father died in England and met mum and Port Kembla. He was a merchant navy guy and uh, they got married and shortly after that I was born in Hobart because his, his mother immigrated out to there with a couple of his brothers. So, um, But I was only there a few years and he um, he got went to night school, he's a welder, and uh, became a customs officer. So his first transfer, his first job in the, as a customs officer was to Darwin. So I often went to Darwin for about eight years, eight or nine years. So I sort of remember have fond memories of of uh, Darwin and growing up there. And then he, he got transferred to Canberra. So um, when I was 11 years old, I moved to Canberra. In the bulk of my life, I've lived in Canberra and did my high school there and a teaching degree and taught there for about 16 or 17 years before I started full-time coaching. So I'm trying to get this clear. How does a man born in Tasmania who moved to Darwin and played his junior footy in Canberra Become such a passionate Queenslander. <laughs> well, it was. It's. Um, I've lived in Queensland for a long time. I've never lived in New South Wales. But um, to be honest, uh, when we had state of origin barbecues at home, um, my wife um, would always support Queensland, and I support New South Wales. Just with a bit of banter, yeah, against each other, and because um, her father was born in Millamilla in the Atherton Tableland, yeah. so we'd have a bit of banter there. And um, I had a good patch there where New South Wales were winning a few, but. It, it really came about when I was coaching assistant coach to Graham Murray. Yeah. And Mal, I knew Mal from Canberra and my coaching in Canberra. And uh, Mal um, rang me up and we talked about Origin. He said, well, I've got the gig in 2006. Would you be interested in helping out? And obviously we had a number of players at the Cowboys at that time yep. that would be representing Queensland. So, um, And I said, yeah, mate, I'll, I'll, I'd be happy to do that. But And I agreed. And then uh, – I found out a couple of weeks later that uh, Graham Murray, Muzzer, who I was, I was working with, <laughs> he had the New South Wales job. So I had to go back to Muzzer and go, mate, because he said it's okay and I didn't know in the meantime he's actually had the New South Wales job and he said, mate, oh, I'm happy to stay and look after the team. But to Muzzer's credit, he said, no, no, we'll be right. So off, off we went and um, I started coaching Origin back then. I think it was a link to New South Wales. You're a foundation player for the Canberra Raiders, 1982. Where did you play and what type of footballer were you? Oh, I think I was on the average scale. Um, I was a good bush footy player. Um, well, good. I was consistent. Um, yeah, in 82, there was a lot of local guys got an opportunity to play, obviously, the start-up of the, uh, the, the Canberra Raiders. And uh, 
playing out at Seaford Oval. So yeah. a whole bunch of us went along to trials and we got graded and I got graded in 82, 83 and 84. Um, played, I was um, captain of the third grade for a while and then, uh, but in 82 I did my ACL and, and missed a season and came back and played a bit of reserve grade. I didn't play first grade but I was a, a centre 5'8", um, more of a defender than an attacker and you look at how players have evolved now and how much they practice. I, I wished I would have had that um, attitude around working on my craft a bit more than I did. But um, went on to play until I was 35, you know, local footy and captain coaching and, you know, you know a few hundred games in, in, in local Group 8 competition and Group 16. So I really had a, ended up having a long career and a, a stint in England as well. When did you figure out playing wasn't going to pay the bills but maybe coaching might? Well, I well, I, I was PE teaching, so I'd coach school sides anyway. Mm. And actually, when I was at uh, Hawker College, um, year 11 or year 12, I was in year 12, I was 17, and my local club I was playing for, Westport Conant, they needed coaches for the second team in the under 12s. They didn't have coaches. So a mate of mine, Glenn Croker, and I said, well, go and coach the under 12s, and we are both 17. So that was my very first team. We won a couple of games that year, and uh, but it was interesting coaching twelve year olds and yeah. uh, and being at high school and 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 then when I did my, my degree, I started teaching. I was coaching school sides and schoolboy sides uh, around ACT. So I and I was a captain coach locally as well in Group Eight and Group Sixteen. So I I decided I, I liked coaching, and as a captain coach, actually that was a really good experience. Actually running. Um, you know, a first grade club yeah. and, and coaching a squad of say thirty five players and then having staff and involved. I think it was a great grounding for me as a you know twenty eight year old. Early days. Do you base your coaching theories on your own personal values and principles, or are you replicating things and traits of personality from others that you've witnessed? Well, yeah, I'd, I had some. You pick up things from different coaches, and I'd like to take a bit. Um, you know, we had Robert Camden, Tubby Camden at the Raiders was the first third grade coach, and I thought he was a very, very good coach. Um, and then you mix that with another guy there, um, Brian Burke, who coached us at Westport Conan, who was a, a fitness nut, um, and he brought a, an element of well, at least we're going to be fit, you yeah. know, like to, to the bush footy, to the Group Eight team our local club, which we hadn't had. And he sort of made the club in that way. And I thought, well, what rubbed off on me was that if you're fit, you're half a chance. Like yeah. if you're willing to work hard and the game demands that and you work hard at training. And he was one of the first guys to bring in – it used to be Tuesday, Thursday training, you know, play yeah. on the weekend. But we'd train Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. You know, he'd put an extra day in there. And sometimes he'd give it – we'd get the day off if we'd trained well or played well. So that work ethic stuck with me. So I always wanted teams to work hard and be fit and – um and at least give themselves a chance to be in game. So um, Don Ferner, you know, was around then too coaching, which which was great. Um, I saw Tim Sheens in, in operation. He's a very astute coach too uh, when I was involved um, with the Raiders and then in, in the Canberra community. Um, so those sorts of guys. And then later it was, um, you know, around you know, Graham Murray when I was assistant coach to him. He was fantastic. Very good um, with people. And yes. manager, and and uh, had a temper and had high standards, but he could really manage the group really well. So I, I learned, a, learned a fair bit off him as well. You said you learned work ethic. I'll counter that by saying there's a huge element, I believe, of work ethic 
that is a natural trait. Would you agree there? Yeah, I think you can, as a coach, you can fall into the into the trap of trying to change players a bit mm. too much, thinking that your influence is going. In certain regards, you can. You can give them leadership or purpose or you can yep. take an interest. There's, there's things like that. But I found that if, if you haven't got a strong work ethic and you see that in a player, at some stage it's hard to turn that around. It's going it's to manifest itself at the wrong time in yep. a pressure situation. So I think a lot of the, I think you're right. A lot of these things are ingrained a little bit through maybe yeah. upbringing or, or or just determination to to do well and the motivation that's intrinsic. And so I think that you're right. You can spend a lot of time on a few players trying to get to where you neglect your bulk of your players yeah. that are already got that inbuilt, and you want yeah. to work on them because they want to be there and they want to get better, and you don't have to motivate them. Players learn, they mature, they make mistakes and they change. Does a coach have a similar path or is there not as much forgiveness in terms of coaches making mistakes? It's, it's changed. There's not a lot of forgiveness nowadays. I think the media uh, will jump onto things. I think there's a lot of undue pressure and uh, you know speculation about coaching positions on the back of a few losses and I think that that's really changed in the last Huge. I suppose five, six years in particular, um, and and that makes it hard on coaches. And and so the organisations really have to not listen to outside noise and and be comfortable in what they've got in place and and the structures they've got there and move on. And I think there's been examples where where clubs have stuck by the coaches and they've come out they've come out the other side Agreed. by doing a a look at actually well, how do we operate as an organisation, what can we be better at to support the coach and the football department. and um, But other clubs don't and uh, the churn rate of coaches now, 20, 21 coaches and uh, you know, there's four coaches a year, I think. Yeah. I think it's 40 coaches in the last 10 years. So it's averaging four and there was five this season. So it's, it's too high and we need to look at – and the churn rate of CEOs – it's been quite high too in the last five or six years. So I think we need stable organisations, well-run businesses to to the whole organisation has got to push in the right direction. But um, I think, yeah, to get back to your question, I think that um, it has changed and there certainly needs to be support for coaches, not just head coaches, assistant coaches. Griffin Air Conditioning offers the highest quality of air conditioning sales and service across the Sydney metropolitan area, providing installation and maintenance to commercial, domestic and industrial customers. Working with this team, you'll be guaranteed the latest services, technology and developments in the industry. Visit griffinair.com.au and tell them we sent you for a cool deal. Coaching has been described in other interviews as addictive. Yes or no? Oh, I think it is. For me, it, it, it was. You, um, It's all-consuming and it's a roller coaster because even the most successful teams you know, are at about 66%. So every three, yeah. every three weeks you're going to lose a game. Yeah. So um, you don't get on big runs too often. I mean, the run that Penrith had this year was unbelievable. Uh, they were up, but they didn't get the ultimate prize in the end. So... Um, and so you win one week and you, you're right and, you, and you're happy and you lose the next week and you're kicking stones. And then you're looking to make changes or 
you're trying to work out where it can be better, and that that's that's the nature of the beast, and it comes around pretty quickly. You know, uh, twenty four rounds, and yeah. and you're playing those games, so it is a roller coaster, and it is addictive because you don't have much time between reviewing what you've done, previewing the opposition, and then getting into there, making your selections, looking at your injuries, and then moving forward. Um, with and that's why you need you need good people around you, and um, I think that's the key. To, to coaching is that you've got good lieutenants, you've got good assistant coaches, a good strength and conditioning, good medical team, good physio team. So you can let them do their job and yeah. and you and they need to be able to do that because you can't micromanage. Combining the answers to the last couple of questions, outside noise in rugby league, often far too loud and, and heard far too much. But the 66% you just mentioned, any head coach would be delighted with 66 percent winning ratio it isn't a huge number in real terms and that's where the pressure starts isn't it yeah it isn't look you lose a few games at the start of the year and you're none from three all this talk already i mean um in reality you need to win about 50 percent of your games to be pushing the eight yeah you know? um and and there every year there's eight teams that make it and eight don't so the pressure's on those eight that don't make it. Mm. Um, so, but the reality is, only fifty percent of the of the competition can make the final. So, and really, top four is where you have to be. You know, that's um, to be his, safe. yeah. His, well, history's sort of shown that um, you know to be a serious contender to win that, you need to be in that top four. And even for a long time, I mean, you had to be in the top. You know, one of the top two defensive teams in the competition was the winner of the premiership for yeah. something like 15 years. So you really have to be at that level. And um, to make the eight is one thing, but to make the four consistently is a, is a good achievement. A player gets noticed because of a performance, whether it's a sidestep, a tackle, a try. And does a coach get noticed, an emerging coach, because it's probably not as clearly defined? It's not, and it tends to be picked on who you know, and and to be honest, uh, player-manager influence. Yeah. Or coach-manager influence, you know. And there is an issue around um, coaches being managed by player-managers. Um, there is a conflict of interest there. A huge and conflict of interest. Huge. And um, I've never really – I've never had a manager. Um, and that – but coaches, it will be detrimental to, mm. to how your name is out there because – you need someone pushing uh, your barrow, your case, and uh, to the powers that be at clubs. Um, so player managers still have a major influence in, in uh, the coaches that are out there. But you're right, unless you are a former grade of the game or you've done something, it's quite hard for coaches to get okay a foot in the door. It's and a you, slow progression, isn't it? It is. Unless if you, you haven't played 200 games in 14 Origins. Yeah, and I think history has shown that not all of those players make good coaches, you know. And to be yeah. fair, a lot of these players are thrown into coaching and it's yeah. it's a bigger beast than they ever imagined. And, um, and, and some have been able to ride the bumps and stay around and others haven't. They've only lasted a few years and gone. But I think we're starting to see a little bit more, which is happening in – in major sports throughout the world too, that there's career coaches. There are coaches that have done their time, been development coaches, understand the game, um, done some study in coaching about leadership and management, 
and uh, and they've 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 come into coaching. I mean, the AFL have got a few coaches now that weren't outstanding players. Um, yeah, we've got a couple in the NRL now. The NFL seeing it as well. So I think you're getting getting a, a he, organisations are getting their head around saying we just need the best candidate. It doesn't have to be an ex player or an ex Australian player, rep yeah. player, whatever. We just need a coach that can do the job, and they're doing their due diligence a bit more. And I think we're seeing that some young coaches now starting to get opportunities in the game that that weren't there before. Uh, we used to recycle a lot of our coaches, you yeah. know, and um, and. And now we're seeing well, you're starting to branch out a little bit, and 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 some organisations do have things in place to actually produce coaches. Okay, so they okay. they do have a mentorship program, yeah. they do have a production line, they do have a succession policy in place. They're saying, well, if you bide your time here, well, when our head coach moves on, you're likely to be the man to step into mm-hmm. that job. And I think that's a bit of forward planning that organisations need to have. You need to have a plan B or you need to have a plan in place to say, yeah. well, how are we running our football department? Now, who do we need to keep? Who do we need to upskill? If they can't do the job, well, who do we need to move? Um, um, but I think at, at last we're starting to see um, some of these young coaches come through. Western Reds in 97 as the 19 coach. Canberra lower grades in 99 and because you can't stay in the one city for too long. You wandered off to North Queensland as a first grade assistant. How did the opportunity come about? Yeah, well, it, it was well. I, I got the I'd step back. I got the opportunity to go to to Perth because of the Super League year. I could take a year off teaching, and I went there. And Dean Lance went to be the head coach, and um, and he said, "Mate, if we can get you a teaching job over there, would you come over? See if you can find me a PE job there. I'll go." So I went there, and then I met Peter Parr. Yep, Peter Parr was coaching. Parry was coaching the reserve grade, so I met Parry there, and then we folded after one year, and I went back to Canberra, and then they went across, took over Adelaide Rams, and Parry was the football manager, and Dean was coaching. They said, "Why don't you come over to Adelaide Rams?" So I took leave again, but the teachers associates they said, "Oh, I had to had to resign." So I resigned and went over there on a three year deal. We didn't last to the preseason, so <laughs> Adelaide Rams. I've, got, I've gone from two clubs that went. Broke or yeah. not break, they were just closed down. And um, anyway, and the NRL was formed. And so I came back to Canberra and I started working with the juniors there and um, and coaching locally and uh, had the local Monero team as well. So I got a job coaching the under-18s, then the under-20s. And uh, so I did that and I stayed in contact with Parry and he went from being a football manager at the Adelaide Rams to being development work at the Broncos. So we stayed in contact and then News Limited, Took over the running of the Cowboys. Yeah. And um, Murray Hurst was sacked or replaced three rounds in, and then Graham Murray must have got the job up there, but yeah. he didn't really have an assistant. Um, he had Adrian Thompson helping him out a bit and coaching as well. So I then, um, we stayed in contact, and then I was coaching in 2002, and Parry rang me and said, Muzz is interested in meeting you because uh, for being an assistant coach, because he'd mentioned my name. So they drove down to Canberra and we were playing on the Sunday. They must have played Saturday. And I remember the game because it was the game Sonny Bill Williams was playing for their 20s and he's, I think he scored four tries. We got smashed. Wow. Yeah, but it was the week after they lost their 37 points. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so recap scandal. Yeah, so we then went we went out and had a beer at the, the casino in Canberra. That's where they were staying with the, the, the hotel there. 
and had to be a talk footy for a couple of hours. Anyway, yeah. at the end of the conversation, I thought, oh, I've got to get a cab home. Um, and Mazza said, oh, we'd like to offer you a contract for a couple of years to come up north. I said, oh. On the spot. On the spot. I thought, how good is that? I Beauty. must have done some talking. So, yeah. um, But obviously I preferred to stay in Canberra because I was yeah. in the system there. And, and I went home and spoke to Kath and, and my wife and – she said, "Look, it's full time coaching." He said, "You haven't been able to get a get a gig here um, full time. Why don't you do it?" And I said, "Right, so I rang him back the next day, and that two years turned to four years, and um, I had four great years there under Muzza. You must have backed yourself. Well, I, I thought when I went there, I thought I I did have an opportunity to coach full time in Canberra um, when Mal was coaching, but mm. the money I was coaching. Under twenties and teaching, and we had you know, we, um, had a couple of young kids at that stage, yep. and, and so I'm thinking, well, I, I was going to get substantially less more money being a full time assistant coach than I was, you know, doing my PE teaching, yep. coaching in the twenties. So I thought, oh, just financially, we couldn't afford it. So I said no, and then Michael McGuire actually started. That's when he started coaching full time in Canberra, Madge, um, because he was teaching PE too at, at the same stage, and. Um, Anyone is is a fair bit younger than me, and I thought, and I thought maybe I had an opportunity to go and work with Ian Millwood uh, in England, but it, it wasn't viable. He was coaching St Helens, yeah. but I didn't really know Basil. But anyway, through a friend of a friend, and I didn't, and I thought, ah, oh, no, we just couldn't make it work financially. And I just thought maybe my ship had sailed around coaching full time, and I was happy to just be coaching. I mean, coaching part time and teaching. Yeah. Anyway, that ended up. You know, I ended up going up there, and that was a bit of a gamble, but um, the two years was, was fine. I could take some leave, and um, and off I went, and Kath was happy to move the family up. And as I said, that we had four great years there initially, and um, they extended my contract in that first year to a four-year deal. If you're enjoying Andy Raymond Unfiltered, the Legend series, we'd love for you to go to Apple, Spotify or wherever you're listening and subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating and review. Best weekly review wins an unfiltered trucker's hat. If I had to ask you what was the one thing you learnt from Graham Murray, what would it be? I think um, to have a sense of humour. Uh, he he's a great storyteller. Yes, he and, is. And he came through a an era, uh, a great era. You know, you know the, the man that stepped stepped aside for Peter Sterling. You know, yeah. like, and and uh, little Artie and all that sort of stuff. I, I and he he, yeah, he came through that era where there were, were a lot of stories and he could tell them and and he was always great company. Mm. And. But he always enjoyed himself. He said, "Look, you've got to celebrate your wins." And it was about they don't come around that often, yeah. You know, so he was always, even though you thought we just scraped there, we didn't play well, but we just got there. Never matter. He'd have a beer in his hand and say, "Boys, just relax. Enjoy. We won. And we won. Enjoy yeah. this, and then we'll move on to talking about the game after that." And I think that that he had that calming influence about, um, you know, he had his standards. Like he could be hard, hard mm. marker, and he was. But I think he had that outstanding knack of uh, getting the team together. Around this time, you were asked into the Queensland State of Origin system. How did it come about? Well, Mel, um, it might have actually been through Jimmy Bannigan, who had an association with Mel over the years, and um, he 
don't think Jimmy rang me. I think he did actually. I think because he, he was talking to Mal, but I knew Mal had got the job, and then Mal gave me a call, and it was just because we we knew each other from Canberra. Yeah. Like he was a head coach, and it was a transition between him and Matt Elliott taking over, and yeah. I was coaching the twenties. So I, I knew Mal, and um, and so and he hadn't been coaching for a few years, and I thought, well, I've got. You know, five or six players up there that I'm working with on a daily basis um, that will be in the squad or likely yeah. be in, in the Queensland squad, uh, you know, including Jonathan Thurston and you know, Matty Bowen and Matt Singh and a few handy players. Yes. Um, Good list. And a young you know, Matt Scott. Um, and so – and there was a bit of a changing of the guard of the Queensland team. Yeah. And they hadn't won an outright series, I think, since 2001. They had a drawn series and then they had – Three losses, yeah. So, um, and Hague's has stepped aside, and and we sort of said, "Mate, I'm happy to to come and give you a hand." Mm. And, um, and he, he laughed. He said, "It might only be a one year gig." He <laughs> said, <laughs> and then that's how we approached it. And, wow. uh, off we went. A wonderful era of origin for Queenslanders. An amazing lineup of players. Players learn from coaches. Do coaches learn from players? Yeah, I've certainly. Um, coaches don't know everything, There's, and you just can't think that you do. And some players, and a lot of players, do things that are just not coached. Yep, they've got instinct. They've got the ability to read the game. These are things that they've they've done playing backyard footy. You know, they, mm. they you know, there's an old saying: you, you you do that trick shot at training. You keep doing, you keep doing, you keep doing it. It's not a risk. The great players. They don't see there's a risk in the game when they do that trick shot. They practice it so many times, they know that that yeah. trick shot's going to work. It's not something they just thought of on the spot and going, oh, yeah, I'm going to kick that ball there yeah. on tackle two. I know because that wing is tucked in there and the fullback's deep. The odds of us getting that ball back are very high. Yep. So whereas players that have that you know, shotgun effect where they don't practice it and they just try it off the top of the head, that'll burn you mm. most times. But – I think those special players. It's not. I didn't impart that knowledge to Jonathan Thurston. Like he had that. You know, he was a competitor. Yeah. I didn't teach him to compete. Like he came like that. And a lot of players are wired around that competitive nature and around how they understand the game. So um, I think we can uh, give them a bit of advice, point them in the right direction, give them a bit of leadership. You can enhance that. But to say that you actually mould them, I don't think so. From your time with the Queensland squad, opportunity followed. Was it the dream job, the Canberra Raiders, an opportunity to go home? It was. It was in in that regard. Going back, um, a lot of mates um, in Canberra, and a lot of people started, you know, just personally, just be interested in footy and yeah. come along and all that sort of stuff. So, in that regard, you know, I was going back home, mum and dad, cast parents, both in Canberra. So a lot of friends there, and it was easy to come home. I was surprised. I thought I was going down to do an interview uh, as one of the candidates for the job, and we talked footy for a few hours and with um, Don Ferner Jr. and, and Simon Hawkins, and um, they said, oh, I know we've got a three-year deal here for you. And I said, oh, well. So I didn't have an intermediary. I didn't have a manager talking. Yeah. And so they just rang me up and said, do you want to come down and come down and um, have a chat? I said, right, and walked away with, had to go back to the go back to the uh, the Cowboys and say I'm off, I'm out of here. <laughs> wow, I can't see that happening in 2020. No, no, no. The funny thing was David Waite was doing um, 
job interviews for Catalan Dragons. They okay. were starting up in 2006. And I remember um, into 2005, we led into the sixth series, um, I got a call from him in the off-season and I didn't hear from him for ages. And we were already – I also had a pre-season trial going against the Warriors up in Cairns and we were already in camp. We have a one-week camp leading into it. And yeah. I got a call from David Waits. Um, we're interested in you coming to be the Catalans coach because they'd made some change around who they had. A uh, local guy, that uh, an English coach, was supposed to do it, but they changed their mind. Anyway, and I said no to him because I'd already committed. I had one more year to go on the deal anyway, and things happened for a reason, I think. And then it was only probably two weeks after that that I got the call from Canberra and said, we're looking for next year too, and I went down and you know, so I didn't. My wife keeps talking about me knocking back down to the south of France. Yeah. <laughs> she won't let me live it down. But, yeah. but, uh, but you know, that's, that happened and an offer went to Canberra. Don't worry about Paris, sweetheart. Let's go back to <laughs> Bell Conan. Yeah, yeah. In 08, the Raiders finished the year strongly. They played finals footy. As a roster, it may be judged that they overachieved. It wasn't easy. I love him. Toddy Carney started to find form off the field. Not here to talk about Todd. Not here to judge, but it was probably as a coach your first experience of dealing with an off-field issue in a high-profile manner. Media everywhere. Easy or difficult? It was difficult. Um, You know, and and, and Todd is a complex character, but but a likeable larrikin. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, And you could not get a better trainer or, or a better person to engage with fans or kids doing his stuff as a Canberra Raider. You yep. know, Goulburn kid, um, been in the system since he was about 16 or so. And I think he you know, he obviously reflects and he said, oh, I've lived my life and I've put my hand up for thing, things yeah. I've done, which he's always done. He said, can I change it? Well, I can't. I've mm. done those things, you know. Um, would have done some things differently on reflection probably, yep. but but I've done them. Um, and he, he's okay with that. And uh, uh, But it came to the point where he'd had a few warnings and a few things were put in place by the club that were fairly strict. Yeah. And we're saying, well, this is, we need this sort of governance for your behaviour. And in the end, um, his management didn't agree to it. Well, then, then they left the club with no option. But How was it for you? All of a sudden you're under the spotlight. Yeah, it was difficult because I could understand the club culture and making a point and he'd had – Opportunities yep. to, to improve his behaviour and things hadn't. He was always good at training, so the players liked playing with him. But I think that they also understood that, well, they did understand that what he did away from the place is not good for the club. Yeah, you know, and um, and so it, it came. It became a board decision, not mine. Um, they made that call. I. The board doesn't front press conferences. No, though. they don't, and I accepted that, and yeah. that I could go back to that. Well, this is a collective decision, and I did consult. Or senior players, and they were, they weren't jumping up and down saying no, this should happen, shouldn't happen. Mm. Um, certainly, they realised they were losing a good player mm. from the squad, yep. but they could understand the club's point of view around behaviour, and and which is a credit to them because we're talking about a cultural shift here a little bit. Yes, and um, and and the club, well, Todd moved on, and and then we had you know Michael Dobson. And, Campo turning you know, turn up and playing some outstanding footy. Yeah. So we went on to rebound as well um, and, and, and you know, finished sixth. 
In part two of the Neil Henry story, leaving the Cowboys, his time at the Titans and the Jared Haynes saga. That's next on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. We hope you're enjoying the podcast, the variety, the names and the different opinions. Before you go, we'd love a quick five-star rating and review on the podcast app you're listening on as we look forward to spreading the word into the new year. Come back soon, legends.